Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are we doing on this fine, chilly Monday afternoon? I, I know nothing went on this weekend regarding anything that you have any affinity of or, or that you follow, so I'm sure that things are, are very boring and that there's not much happening. I am riding high, baby. Riding high on cloud nine. I know we'll get into that. Um, great weekend of football. Wish we would have had better results for the Ohio State basketball team, but um, just excited to be on. I know we got a lot of like new content, which is great. We sort of weren't expecting that, and uh, ready to roll, man. Yeah, lots, lots on the docket today in this random Monday on uh, January thirty first. It's all it's crazy that's going to be February tomorrow already. This year already seems to be flying by, but nonetheless, yeah, lots of content as Josh alluded to. We have some NFL playoff stuff. We wanted to talk about the the Ohio State Purdue basketball game on Sunday as well, and then we had a couple of uh, Ohio State press conferences with a lot of the new coaches today that we wanted to get into as well. So a pretty, pretty packed show for you all today, but we're going to start off with everyone's favorite segment. Uh, this this is now a bi-weekly segment since we did it last week as well. Uh, talking Bengals, where I'm just going to let Josh talk about his Bengals, who are now in the Super Bowl. Another crazy game coming back from down 21-3 to against the Chiefs. Obviously, you know, Ohio State podcast, so just to get some of those tie-ins in there, uh, Von Bell had basically a game-winning interception in overtime. You know, Sam Hubbard had a huge sack. Eli Apple uh, played in the football game. Um, and, and, you know, the whole, you know, Joe Burrow, we we have claim as a Buckeye. So a lot of good performances from Buckeyes this weekend. Obviously, the Chiefs don't have any Buckeyes, so that is clearly why they lost the football game. But, Josh, uh, the floor is yours. How do you feel about your Cincinnati Bengals being in the Super Bowl? You know, I mentioned I'm on cloud nine, and uh, nine is a reference to, of course, Joe Burrow, Joey B, Joey Franchise, Joe Shiesty, whatever you want to call him. He's a hero. They can go ahead and get the statue ready outside Paul Brown. But it's just awesome, man. After 33 years of being a bit of a laughing stock, you know, the, the Bengals had some some good years with Carson Palmer and Marvin Lewis and everything. But they've been a doormat, uh, especially in the AFC North. The other three teams are kind of ascending while the Bengals were stuck in the mud a bit. But um, just unreal. Hard. To, it's difficult to put into words because I didn't really have these expectations coming into the season. I thought that the team would be better, but I wasn't sold on Zach Taylor. I still don't know if it's Zach Taylor or the sum of the parts around him, Um, although I do think he has improved mightily as a coach and a game planner and a motivator and all of that great stuff. Um, Happy to have him currently, but I got to be honest, man. I did not expect the Bengals to beat the Chiefs. Uh, I, I didn't go in thinking it was a foregone conclusion, but, you know, against Vegas, I, I was confident. Um, when they played Tennessee, uh, you know, for them, I was not intimidated by the Titans. But after the Buffalo game, I thought that Kansas City was sort of firing on all cylinders, maybe not their defense, but it had improved a lot during the second half of the season. And so I thought that the Buckeyes or the Bengals, I'm sorry, were playing with house money. Um, I just wanted it to be a game. And then it it turned into a 21 to three game. And I was like, oh, man, not this again. Um, But the halftime error on Kansas City's part gave us some life. The defense just played lights out in the second half, three points in the second half and overtime combined. I thought Lou and Arumo did a fantastic job during that second half, adjusting, changing his coverages, 
to kind of contain Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and guys like that. And the offense never wavered. That's the the great thing about Joe Burrow is maybe he comes across as a bit cocky. I don't think that at all. I, I just think he's got a, a confidence about him. And he's really backed it up since he went to LSU. And now since he's been in Cincinnati, um, a, a quiet confidence. And then, you know, he, he wears the drip and everything that gets him the note, the attention. But he's not that kind of guy. I just think that he's confident in his own ability and the team around him. He's spoken to that at points throughout the season. And in the second half, I thought that Kansas City really starting right before halftime, I thought that Patrick Mahomes and the team, they got too cute. Um, the play before halftime was a boneheaded decision. Then I thought that Mahomes, you know, he took sacks at the end of regulation. He's running around trying to make plays, but maybe needed to just fall on the sword a little bit, let his team get some additional points that they otherwise did not get. The throw in overtime was a hero throw. That pass was not open. Von Bell made the great interception. So I thought they got too cute, but I'm not going to sit here and say that Kansas City lost that game. Cincinnati clawed their way back in. The defense, like I said, was lights out and they earned it. And so now they're on to the Super Bowl, another road game, but they are the home team, which is sort of odd. They're going to be in the Rams home locker room for the Super Bowl, which is an interesting dynamic. But yeah, man, it's just awesome. Again, I can't get over it. I don't think a lot of people gave the Bengals a shot, but now that they've beaten the Chiefs, I I'm not going to predict a Super Bowl win right now. I don't know where I'm at, but they're definitely going to play and be competitive. And I think that they have a real shot. So like I said, man, I'm on, I'm on cloud nine. I couldn't be more excited for this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Josh pretty much summed it up. It was, it was a really fun game to watch. Both games this weekend were a lot of fun. This whole NFL playoffs has been, you know, extremely exciting. The NFL script writers really outdid themselves this year in, in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm really excited for this Super Bowl, you know, as, as a neutral observer of both of these teams. You know, obviously, I love Joe Burrow. We talked a lot about last week how he's the coolest man alive and he's impossible to root against. The, you know, there's more pictures this week of his pregame fit and his big puffy winter coat with his, his diamond chain. Just the, just the world's coolest man. He posted that post picture on Instagram with the, the Cartier glasses. I won't even peek at you quote from little baby. And it's just everything he does is incredible. And then on the flip side, you know, I, I talked about last week, my guy Odell Beckham, I wouldn't be upset to see him win a ring. So I, it's kind of a win-win for me. I'm excited to see both of these teams face off. I think it'll be a fun matchup. I'll obviously be, be pulling for Joe Burrow, but I think either way, you know, unlike a couple of years ago when we had like Patriots Eagles, where it was an unrootable Super Bowl for me, I am, I'm in a pretty neutral stance here that these, you know, I'd be fine with either of these teams winning, but I would love to see, you know, Joe Burrow come out of nowhere with these Bengals and really bring it home. And I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch, but yeah, it's, NFL playoffs have been exciting. A lot of Buckeyes doing their thing on the Bengals. We love to see that. Uh, not yeah, as many on the Rams. It's really just Jordan Fuller who is injured right now. I don't know if there's any other contributors out there. But, yeah, it's, it should be another another fun game. I and mean, I'm happy to see that all these these dudes succeeding at the next level. Yeah, I think the, the fact that the Buckeyes have four and a half former Buckeyes, I don't know if I'm ready to claim Joe Burrow as a Buckeye. I can definitely claim him as the quarterback of my favorite NFL team. But all starters, you know, Isaiah Prince is in there due to injury, and he's been – beaten up at times, but he's been serviceable and he was never supposed to be a starter. I think he's done about as well as you could expect. Sam Hubbard played out of his mind yesterday. I don't know what he was credited with, um, but he had the big force fumble at the end. He was all over the place. And, and really the force fumble he had, if you watch that play or you remember it at all, he was not rushing during that play. He had dropped back in a bit of a zone coverage sort of deal. And 
made a decision. He made a smart decision that Pat Mahomes was holding on to the ball and he had an opportunity to go and affect the play. So he came in. Von Bell obviously made the interception. Eli Apple, like you said, he was on the field. He he kind of got torched in the first half by Tyreek Hill. And he, he's a bit more vocal on social media than I'd like him to be. This guy floundered for years in uh, Carolina with your Giants, obviously, who drafted him. And he's resurrected his career a bit for the Bengals. I don't know if he's going to be around long term, but he played well at times. And yeah, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody else. So just really cool to have those Bengals or those former Buckeyes be a part of this. And I've got to give a shout out to Duke Tobin. I don't know if a lot of people know him as the general manager of the Bengals. Not everyone who listens to this pod is a Bengals fan, but he's been with the Bengals for a while now. And He's drafted really well the last handful of years, and he brought in free agents like Trey Hendrickson, Larry Ogunjobi, B.J. Hill, which he got in a trade for Billy Price, steal of the century seemingly at this point, Uh, a couple of DBs in addition to D.J. Reader and Von Bell last year. So I just really like the way that they've built the team. There, There are different ways to do it, but the Bengals have done it through the draft, identifying free agents that they think will fit within their scheme and on, on their team. And they've invested in their guys, Mike Brown and the Bengals, they get this bad reputation for not spending money and they, and they don't spend a lot in free agency or they traditionally haven't in the past, but they invest in their guys. You know, they gave um, Andy Dalton a big deal. They gave AJ green, a big deal, Joe Mixon, uh, Tyler Boyd, guys like that, they have invested in their homegrown guys and they identify some really good talent. So they've built the roster organically as opposed to the Rams who just went out and bought everybody or traded the farm to go and get Matt Stafford. While there's nothing wrong with that, I just prefer the Bengals method. I think that at this point, their success is more sustainable than that of the Rams. The Rams could go out two weeks from now and win the whole thing, and it's all going to be worth it. But you look at their cap situation and some of the guys they have on these huge deals, the Bengals are set up for future success five years from now, 10 years from now. However long they have Joe Burrow and some of these young guys, they're going to be really good, I believe, for a long time. And so that is just as exciting as this Super Bowl appearance or or close to it. Yeah, and I know a lot of Ohio State fans are probably, you know, mostly split between Browns and Bengals. And then obviously there's a lot of fans that aren't from Ohio that, you know, root for their own hometown teams. But I, and I know that Browns and Bengals fans don't tend to like each other, don't tend to like each other's teams. But I think there's probably a good, at least a handful of, of Browns fans that are going to be rooting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl just because of guys like, you know, how we've talked about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are just two super cool guys that are hard to root against. And of course, all of all of the Buckeyes that are on the roster. So I think it'll be a fun Super Bowl. We'll have that to look forward to in two weeks. We have a really actually really poor uh, weekend of sports coming up this this next weekend. I'm not not especially looking forward to it now that there's no NFL playoff games this weekend. You know, uh, I think the NHL is in their all-star break as well. So it's going to be a pretty slow weekend of sports. I'm sure there'll be some college hoops to talk about. But speaking of college hoops, the other big game uh, that went down on Sunday, not on the gridiron, on the hardwood, was the number 16 Ohio State men's basketball team traveling to West Lafayette to take on number six Purdue uh, in Mackey Arena, which I'm sure no Ohio State fan is very fond of. A uh, super exciting game between two really good teams in the Big Ten. It looks like, you know, the two of these teams that should be in the top three or four of the conference when the season is over. Um, 
Ohio State was down 20 points in the second half, came back to tie it late, um, and then they wound up losing at the buzzer again to a Jay Nivey three, 81 78. I, I may have to write an article coming up here soon about, you know, just these OSU supervillains in college basketball. And I think Jay Nivey is making a strong case to be at or near the top of the list. Um, you know, this is twice now that he's beaten Ohio State on a buzzer beater in these last two seasons. He's a very, very good player overall, but he's another one of these guys that just kills Ohio State. He was coming really back. He was working his way back off an injury. He came off the bench in this game, but he put up, uh, I'm pretty sure, a game-high 21 points here. So another strong performance for him. But Ohio State played well. You know, E.J. Liddell finished with 20 points. Malachi Branham had 20 points on 7-10, shooting with 7 boards. Eugene Brown and Cedric Russell each came in with 9 uh, and really, you know, Ohio State, for, for for getting down a bunch and for battling back, they really didn't play poorly. They only turned it over six times. Uh, I think their biggest struggles here was just defending the paint against a guy like Zach Eady, a seven foot four center. He had 20 points, caused a lot of foul trouble for Ohio State. Um, and, you know, the, the usual characters, I mean, Travion Williams, who usually murders the Buckeyes, did un- was uncharacteristically quiet. He had nine points and eight rebounds, so he didn't play poorly, but... Yeah, it was a good game between two good teams. You know, this Purdue team is a really, really good basketball team when they're hitting their shots. They're good from three. They're good in the paint. They've got a great mix of size and guards. And it's just, they're a really well put together team. They're a well coached team. And for this Ohio State team that probably not many people expected to play competitive in this game, I thought they showed a lot of fire. And, you know, especially coming back from that large deficit in the second half, I think we learned a lot about this Ohio State team, and I think that, you know, even though they lost the game, I think it's pretty exciting moving forward, and I think the hopes for Ohio State in the rest of this Big Ten season are still really high. Yeah, no moral victories, right? But you can still take a lot of positives from the game. Um, Mackey Arena is not an easy place to play. Nobody wants to go in there, Produce traditionally very good at home, and once Ohio State fell behind by 20 points, they could have folded up shop and this could have been a really ugly second half but Cedric Russell and Eugene Brown the third were big in the second half you mentioned they had nine points apiece I thought that the combo of those two guys over at Justin Ahrens was necessary and I think we probably saw it coming a little bit based on um, Justin's recent kind of skid that he's hit I still have hopes that he can turn it around but at this point it's been a real extended period of time. So I thought those guys were really good in the second half and they needed them because some of the other starters and other big name players, they didn't have a great game. You know, Zed key only played 12 minutes. He was in a bit of foul trouble, but he's their third leading scorer, And he had 1.1 rebound. He was a bit of a zero, but I'm willing to consider this game an anomaly just because of the difficulties he had during the first half. Jamari Wheeler coming back from an injury played 24 minutes didn't do a whole lot. Michi Johnson, same story coming off of his injury. Kyle Young did have seven points, but, um, you know, I think the bench mob and EJ Liddell really carried them during the second half. EJ was sort of hit and miss for the first 25 to 30 minutes of the game. He turned it on late. I think he had 10 points in the last seven minutes or eight minutes or something like that. Hit the big three at the end, a couple of big threes, I think, at the, near the end of the game. So playing like the All-American that he, we know he can be. But, yeah, it's not a bad thing to take positives from a loss. And I think that Ohio State has now proven that they can play with the best in the country on any given night. They beat Duke. They were in it with Purdue. And that's going to serve them well moving forward. I think another thing that's going to serve them well is guys like Eugene Brown and Cedric Russell getting extended playing time. Um, 
But my last point, and I, I mean this earnestly, I want a warrant out for Jaden Ivey. He has murdered Ohio State in cold blood two years in a row now, hitting buzzer beaters. You mentioned he's a great player, and I don't think they played poor defense on him during that last possession. I don't even know if the shot was designed for him, um, but he had a hand in his face and he hit a big shot, and that's what good players do. So you have to tip your hat to Purdue and hope that we can circle back around to them and maybe take them down later in the season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Matt Painter said after the game that that play was actually designed for to, to go inside to Zach Eady, um, and, and Jaden Ivey just kind of wound up with the ball in his hands. He had a, a pretty contested shot. He was falling away, falling out of bounds, hit the three. Like you said, it wasn't like Ohio State left him open. It was it was good defense. It was just a better shot. He's a really, really good player. I'm sure he'll, he'll be playing in the league soon enough, um, and then Ohio State won't have to worry about him as much. But you brought up Justin Arns, and I think that we, we kind of learned – more about the way Ohio State's going to start rotating from here on out, or at least the way that I, I think they should. I think this was a good thing that they did bringing him off the bench in this game. Um, he only he went one for four from three. Like you said, he's, it, this is a really extended shooting slump for him, and when he's not making shots, as we all know, Justin Arns isn't providing a whole lot else. Um, and I know that a guy like you know Cedric Russell wasn't much better at one for five from three, but I think that a guy like Cedric Russell at least does other things well. You know, he could create off the dribble, he could drive a little bit. I think he could do more with the ball in his hands than a guy like Justin Lawrence can. Uh, the starting five in this game was was you know, Jamari Wheeler returning from injury, along with you know Michi Johnson, Malachi Branham, EJ Liddell, and then Zed Key. That was your starting five. I think that's a good starting five for Ohio State moving forward. I think that you know guys like Brown and Russell could get a lot of Orange's minutes in place of him. I, I really like Eugene Brown, the way he's been playing this year. Really strong on defense. He's been shooting it well. You know, the, the, both of those two guys and Brown and Russell, I think, do a lot more for the team than a guy like Orange does, especially if Orange isn't hitting his shots. You know, maybe eventually his, his shot comes back and you could start giving him more and more minutes. But until then, I think that those other two guys, I think Ohio State has a pretty good depth at their guard position. And I think that they could use those other guys more right now than Justin Orens. I also think, you know, you could potentially maybe flip Kyle Young and Zed Key, but I think that limiting Kyle Young is probably the best. They, they need him down the stretch run. They're going to need him the whole season. He's a guy that's had a lot of injuries historically when he plays big minutes, so I think using him more sparingly the way that Ohio State has been doing is, is probably better off for him and the team in the long run. So I think that, you know, we'll see that rotation the way that Ohio State played against Purdue moving forward more. Um, obviously, you know, the team is still waiting on a guy like Justice Suing and even Seth Towns to return. So if those two guys come back and they could even be like, you know, half the contributors that they, they, that they have the potential to be, this Ohio State team could be really good. They could really compete in the Big Ten and, and beyond. So I think Ohio State learned a lot about themselves. Like you said, you don't want to just count at the moral victories, but Ohio State doesn't, you know, there's no easy wins in the Big Ten, but Ohio State does have a couple winnable games in a row here coming up now to kind of figure things out a little bit before they get into more of the meat of the Big Ten schedule. Uh, I mean, they stayed at 16 in today's AP poll so that the voters clearly, you know, respect what they did at Purdue and they know that it's not easy to win there and that Ohio State fought valiantly in that game. So I think overall people should be, you know, pretty obviously you, you want to win the game, but I think people should be pretty pleased with Ohio State. And I think that we learned a lot about some of the personnel decisions and some of the way that we're going to see these these guys used moving forward. I like your young and key sort of uh, scenario. Kyle Young is just at this point, he's comfortable coming off the bench. He knows how to you know, come out cold essentially or, or not as a starter and pick and choose his spots and play aggressively. Kyle Young is aggressive by nature. He can get in foul trouble from time to time, but he's diving after loose ball, balls. He's attacking the, the, the glass. So 
I think he's in a good role right now. And if you need to bring him off the bench, but also play 25 minutes, I think you can do that dependent on the matchup. And as far as Justin Ahrens goes in that rotation, I mentioned something in our Slack that maybe it's time to put Justin Ahrens on ice. And Connor, who is one of the co-hosts of our Bucketheads podcast, sort of pushed back on that a little bit. And I, I sort of came around to his way of thinking I believe that Justin Ahrens has a role on this team. He's a, he's a veteran leader, but I think you need to figure it out early on. Sub him in or start him. Give him a couple minutes. Give him a couple of shots, but then you make your decision. He's either hitting or he's not, and if he's not, you go the other way. You bring in Eugene Brown or Cedric Russell or whoever it's going to be, but there may also be that game in the future where Justin Ahrens catches fire. We've seen him do it in the past. He had the 29-point game as a freshman against Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Hit a bunch of threes, and he's capable of that, but he just needs to figure it out. Shoot or shoot, but it can't be to the detriment of the team. So if he's not hitting, you have to pick and choose those spots and give him playing time when the situation calls for it and see if that night is one of those nights where he can catch fire. So... I'm hopeful that he does. Uh, I, I hope that he does it in a big game when they really need him. But if he's not, I think Cedric Russell has finally started to earn a little bit of trust with the coaching staff. He did not play. He's not played a ton during the first half of the season, really, or a little bit over halfway at this point. But we saw against this game, they were down, they brought him in and he played well enough to warrant 13 minutes. He scored those nine points. And to your point, He's not just a shooter. Uh, If he was, I I don't know if he would bring the same amount of value because he's not the most efficient guy in the world. He's like a 40, 42% shooter for his career, but he can hit those threes. He can drive a little bit. He can dish a little bit. And for what it's worth, I think Eugene Brown might be the best of those three options wise. I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but he played 20 minutes score nine points. He provides a good defense and he's done it for a couple of games now. So I really like what he's evolved into. Um, and he can hit some shots too. Again, not the most efficient three point shooter, but he can knock them down. And I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. The The sample size is much smaller, but he's probably hitting threes at the same rate or a better rate than Justin Ahrens is. So it's not like you're losing that. The shot doesn't look as pretty. Uh, and, and he hasn't done it over an extended period of time, but I have faith in Eugene Brown moving forward. And if you're not going to get Justice Suing back or Seth Towns, then I think you need to find another wing, another swing guy like he is. And uh, again, he's earning the minutes right now. So I think you ride that hot hand until Justin kind of develops his own or, or hits or becomes hot himself. Yeah, I, I can't help but agree. I, I felt this a similar way. Uh, when Ohio State had Dwayne Washington, and obviously very, very different players, but it seemed like you could tell which Dwayne Washington you were getting based on how their their start to the game went. You know, if Dwayne came in and, and hit his first couple of shots, you knew you were getting good Dwayne that day, but if he came out and, you know, started like one of seven or two of eight or whatever, it might have been a long night. And I feel like you could, along the likes of what you're saying, you could kind of tell early on which kind of Justin Orange you're getting. Once he's taken three or four shots, if they're, if they're not close or they're not hitting, He's probably not going to get it back, but if he knocks down his first two shots or something, you might get a six three-pointer performance from him. So it's it's kind of that hot or cold streak, and it's tough to kind of manage a guy like that because you don't know which one you're getting night in and night out. 
But I think the way that they're doing things right now is is fine. I think that you know having Eugene Brown or Cedric Russell as your first guard off the bench, and then having Kyle Young as your first forward off the bench, along with the same starting five they tried out there, I think that's the best. With the way guys are playing right now, I think that's the best thing moving forward. Like you said, Connor has a good has a lot, a lot better insight than us. He's much more in tune with the basketball team, and I do agree on his take on Justin Orens and how he is an important part of this team and all that. And I'm sure uh, the Buckethead guys will probably have a lot to say about that Purdue game. So be sure to check them out this week whenever they. Uh, get to talking about the Purdue game, but nonetheless, uh, I, I think uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the Ohio State basketball team. Obviously, that's going to be a, a big focus now moving forward. Now that you know the NFL season is over and and we kind of switch as a society to to focusing more on college basketball and I guess a little bit of the NBA. I'm not personally a big NBA guy. I'll probably watch more college hoops, but big big time for basketball right now. Basketball and hockey are, are hot in the streets. Uh, so I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of uh, Ohio State hoops moving forward. But be sure to check out the Buckethead guys for more in depth stuff. As uh, as we kind of transition here to our bread and butter, Gene, yeah, yeah. Gene, <clears throat> I, before we move on past the basketball team, I wanted to ask your sort of opinion or where you're at on one particular guy, Michi Johnson. We saw him early in the season hit some big shots, score in double figures against uh, what Bowling Green Xavier. He hit a big shot against Seton Hall, but you know the he's giving you six, seven, eight points a game usually but he's not been very efficient, um, not dishing out a lot of assists, and he's you know, basically a point guard for you. Where are you at on Michi Johnson moving forward? I know he's still a young guy, and I know personally after a handful of games, I was like, okay, he's really coming around, but he struggled more as of late, and I know the injury sort of plays into that, but what do you, what do you kind of see or what do you predict from him for the rest of the season? Yeah, I still have high hopes for a guy like Michi Johnson. Like you said, he's still incredibly young. This is a guy that should have been playing his, his senior year of high school basketball last year, came into Ohio State early, played a little bit, and now this is really his freshman season at Ohio State, really still learning the ropes in the Big Ten, I think, a bit. Like you said, the injuries have definitely, I think, slowed him down. He's playing in, in a full Bane mask out there right now, uh, so I'm sure that's not helping things. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about him still. I think he has a lot of confidence. I think he's fun to watch, and I, I think that he knows he could play better and that he, he has a, a higher ceiling than he showed. So I'm still, I'm still very high on Michi. He's, he's a young kid. He'll, he'll learn his way. It's not easy playing basketball in the Big Ten, especially as a young guy, especially as, as a smaller guy. Uh, but I, I like a lot that Michi does. I think he's a solid shooter, even though he's not hitting at a great clip right now. He's shown in the past that he can knock it down. Uh, I think he's a, a good player, a good player to have as a teammate, good guy for for morale and a lot of the fiery stuff and get momentum and stuff like that. So I'm still high on Michi. Like you said, he hasn't been the best player on the team right now, but I don't think they, they really need him to be. They could obviously use a bit more from him. You could use a bit more from everyone always. But at the end of the day, I think that you know Michi Johnson will be fine after, you know, after this, this facial injury is out of the way, and after he gets back to full strength, hopefully he could start knocking it down with a little more consistency. But I'm still, I'm still high on Michi. I still have high hopes for him, and I, I think he'll be a really good player at Ohio State. If not, you know, maybe he won't be the best this year, but I think by next year, and he's when he's had a, a full year under his belt learning the, the Big Ten, I think that he'll be on the right path. And, and I'm with you. Uh, I think that Michi can be a microwave sort of scorer. Um, and I don't want to beat him up too bad, but I just want to throw out a couple of numbers because I wanted to pull them up to make sure I was sort of, uh, you know, correct for the season. What do you think he is shooting from inside the three point arc? Uh, I'll say like 38%. He's shooting 27% from inside the arc and he has eight made two pointers for the year. None in his last five games. He's eight for 30 again, none in no two point, uh, 
makes in the last five games. He's living and dying by the three, and it hasn't been falling as much recently. So uh, a couple concerning numbers and trends there, but I'm with you. I do think he'll turn it around. I don't want to beat him up too bad because he's a big shot guy. He's got that irrational confidence, and I know that they're going to need that as well moving forward. Yeah, a lot of it seems like pretty much all of Ohio State's guards outside of Jamari Wheeler and Malachi Branham don't really look to score inside a ton. There's not a yeah. lot of not a lot of driving guys on this team. A lot of catch and shoot guys, and I think Michi could be a, a guy that drives to the paint more often. Maybe he's just not doing it right now because of the injury or because of other things. Maybe he's just not comfortable with it right now, going against a lot of these these bigs in the Big Ten, but. I think it would certainly help Ohio State to have another guard that's capable of cutting third rim and scoring. You you know, you, when you're living and dying by the three, you're going to have nights where you're cold and you lose games that you shouldn't. So I think having another guy that could drive would be super beneficial, and I think Michi could definitely be that guy. But yeah, those are definitely concerning numbers. You don't want to have a bunch of guys that are only shooting threes, especially when they're not falling. So definitely an issue. I'm sure that they're aware of that, and I'm sure that he wants to be playing better as well. So that is that is I wouldn't expect that though. I, I honestly wouldn't I, I can't picture Michi just sitting at the three point line and, and only shooting. I'd picture him as more of a, a cutter, but I guess I guess not. Yeah, if you're familiar with the NBA at all, he uh, plays very much like Devontae Graham, who's a Pelican now, who shoots like eighty percent of his shots from out, outside the arc. Um, Michi's numbers are not skewed that much, but I'm with you. I'd like to see him try and get to the bucket a little bit more. He's a little He's a bit of a smaller guy, but in a limited sample size, he can make free throws. He's 10 for 14 on the season. He's quick. He's got ups. So I think if he can look for some contact or drive and dish, that's just going to make him a better and more complete player. Yeah, I completely agree. Ohio State's next game is this Thursday against Iowa at 8 p.m. Then they play with Maryland, and then they go on the road at Rutgers. So, you know, three definitely winnable games for Ohio State. Not, no gimmies in the Big Ten, like we said, but... Certainly, a, a lot to look forward to there. Hopefully, they could they could get things on the right track before they hit the you know the Michigans, the Indianas, the Illinois of the world, and the Michigan states uh, and Michigan before the end of the season. Uh, so, that being said, moving on to the way uh, more of our bread and butter here at Hang on the Holy Land, the the football team. All right, there's actually uh you know despite it being the end of January, there's actually a good amount to talk about this week. Um, Ohio State since Friday has hired two new uh I was going to say assistants, but they are analysts on in the football staff. Uh, the first was Sam McGrath on Friday, who joined Ohio State's defensive support staff. He was the linebackers coach at Duke last season, and he will work with the linebackers at Ohio State as well. He's a guy who worked with Jim Knowles at Duke when he was a GA. Um, he, he becomes officially the sixth new hire for Ohio State on the defensive side of the ball, so obviously a, a clear clear uh, effort to get that side of the ball fixed. And just a kind of a fun fact here on him, his wife Abby is a, is a native of Upper Arlington, and she won the silver medal in diving at the 2012 Summer Olympics. So uh, an Ohio native and his wife and, and someone who's, who's participated in the Olympics. So a lot of fun stuff there from uh, Mr. Sam McGrath. And it's another guy who is familiar with Jim Knowles and the defense that he plans and coaches for. So I think this is another good addition. It's just building up the room around Jim Knowles with guys that he is familiar with and has some uh, has a comfort level with. So, and, and he's a linebacker guy, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yep. So that, that is hopefully going to make Jim Knowles's job a little bit easier. You know, you would assume that he is the end all be all of linebackers, but he's got a couple guys in the room that can help him with that. Take some stuff off of his plate so that he can be the coach of the defense, which I know we're going to get to later on based on some comments by Ryan day. But, um, I like that Ohio State is being 
proactive in bringing in more analysts, bringing in more voices into the coaching room to just sort of help with everything. You know, there's such a, there's such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, but I think that maybe Ohio State was on the opposite end of that for a while where they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough voices. They didn't have varying opinions when maybe they needed them at times. So this is going to be a good thing, I think, moving forward. And I think it's really cool that his wife has, uh, you know, some familiarity and is with Columbus and is a, an Olympic Olympian. So good on her. Good for Sam. Good to have him as part of the program. And it's just another proven voice. I would say he's proven at this point with his experience at Duke, another proven voice to have in the defensive room. Yeah. You know, well, you know, which football team in, in college has a lot of analysts on staff, Alabama. And I think it works out pretty well for them. Uh, but yeah, so Ohio State, in following that trend, added yet another uh, analyst on Monday, and that was Devin Jordan, who makes his return to Ohio State. He's a former Buckeye wide receiver. He worked as a student coach for the Buckeyes. He spent the last two years as a quality control guy at Akron. He actually, uh, Brian Harlan actually played under him when he was a student coach at Ohio State, so that's kind of a, a fun tidbit of their little relationship here. And uh, on top of his football stuff, Jordan founded uh, this thing called Beyond the Game, which is a nonprofit designed to help kids understand that sports is a platform to achieve a, a higher education and reach their potential as adults. So another guy that seems to kind of fit the, the culture fit that Ryan Day has instilled at Ohio State, a guy that, that does a lot more other than just being a football coach. He's clearly a guy who cares about you know these kids as people as well, not just as football players. So that's always good to have another another voice and another mind like that in the room. But yeah, like you said, more... More assistants can't hurt, not, not assistants, more analysts can't hurt. You have a bunch of people with their eyes on everything, trying to get everything working at the highest possible potential. And when you have the talent that Ohio State brings in year in and year out, you know, the more you're able to coach these guys up, the better product you're able to put on the field, the better things are going to be in the long run. I think this Devin Jordan hire is, or I'm hopeful that it it's underrated now and really um, proves to be worthwhile down the road. You know, this guy... He's been at these small schools, right? Wittenberg, Walsh, Malone, Youngstown State, Akron. But he's familiar with Ohio State. Not just familiar, he played here and spent, I believe, five seasons here as a player and as a bit of like a student coach under Jim Tressel. And he's got an impressive pedigree, too. He went to uh, he went to high school in Maslin, which is like a, a, an Ohio superpower. Chris Spielman went there, a bunch of other guys. They've won a bunch of state titles. So it's a hell of a high school football program. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a high school All-American. Like he, I, he wasn't a five-star recruit. And I don't even know if they had stars back in the day. I tried to find that because I knew he was really good in high school. But he's got a pedigree. He's played the position at a high level, you know, it didn't work out as a player at Ohio State, but he was on the active roster for like a year and a half, two years, something like that before he broke I his believe, leg. Yeah, if I was going to say, I think he had injury issues and that kind of like derailed his career at, at the college level. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he broke his leg. And, you know, I, I, I don't know why that completely derailed everything, but I'm not a doctor. You know, it's not an ACL or anything like that. It's But again, I don't know all the details. He was forced to essentially medically retire. But again, he, he kind of cut his teeth initially under Jim Trestle and he's been at these other stops, but he's got a lot of experience, like 14 years as a, as an analyst or a coach, and he's still a relatively young guy. So Ryan day and his staff have, have added some young guys to their staff um, who hopefully can relate to players and coach up the position that they're 
familiar with because they were players not too long ago for the most part, most of these guys. So um, his previous relationship with Brian Hartline, I think is obviously going to be a good thing. I just wonder, and I want to get your feedback on this. They brought in a lot of these quality control analysts and, you know, position sort of coaches. Do you think there's anything to, and I hope I'm wrong. This is, I'm just throwing something out there, but do you think there is any concern over maybe losing some guys that have been with the program and really bolstered their resume? Corey Dennis has worked with the quarterbacks. People say a lot of great things about him. Uh, Keenan Bailey was promoted, I think, previous to this year. He's been with Ohio State for like six years. He's helped with quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, especially with wide receivers. Do you think there is any risk to losing some of those guys? And so they're bringing in a new batch or a new crop of other young coaches and football minds. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of someone who's been on staff long term that I'm I'm concerned about losing or would care to lose really. And nobody is really coming to mind. Obviously, Larry Johnson is probably, you know, in, in one of the final years of, of his tenure as a college coach in general. He's probably nearing retirement sometime soon, but they haven't brought in a guy that's, uh, to my knowledge, that's like a super defensive line specialist if these were kind of right. coaching waiting sort of things. But other than that, like, you know, Corey Dennis does a good job, but we all know Ryan Day is the real quarterbacks coach at Ohio State. You know, you talked about Keenan Bailey. I don't know how important he really is. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not super high on McMurati as a strength guy and haven't really brought anybody in in that department. So in terms of... Oh, shots <laughs> fired, Coach and, Mick. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. In terms of, uh, like, long-term assistant coaches, I really, besides Brian Hartline, who I don't think they're bringing in Devin Jordan to replace anytime soon, I don't think no, there's really no. anybody on staff long-term that I would be worried about losing, and I don't think that these... I don't think Ohio State really is either, so I don't think these are kind of just coaching waiting positions. I think they just want as many eyes on the team as possible. They want to get things corrected. They know that they've they've squandered some opportunities here in the past couple of years to potentially win a national title, and they want to avoid that moving forward. And they're doing, to Ryan Day's credit, it seems like he's doing pretty much everything possible to to make that a reality. And that's a fair point. The one name that I brought up that I would be have the most concern about potentially getting a bigger, better job and moving on is probably Keenan Bailey, just because he has helped with, you know, basically everything on the offensive side of the ball, the skill positions, namely. But prior to that, he was at Notre Dame and I think he was a recruiting analyst. So he's starting to build up this really nice resume. And I wonder if people will be kind of poaching, looking to poach him or scout him in the future. But again, those are sort of lower level positions, still very important, but lower level positions. I'm with you. I don't know that any of these guys are going to be groomed for bigger, better positions down the road. But um, yeah, going back to the Devin Jordan move, especially though, I think it's really cool to get another former Buckeye in the room with Tim Walton, who they brought in um, previously to coach cornerback. So Day is continuing to build his own staff, but he is still kind of keeping the Ohio State thing alive. You know, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but by bringing in those former Buckeyes, I think it's a good touch and a good thing to have for this program. Yeah, and speaking of Ryan Day, it's a good transition there. Monday was the first day that all of the new Ohio State staff staff members were together at the Woody. Uh, so we got to hear from, from Ryan Day, Perry Eliano, Tim Walton, 
uh, Jim Knowles and Justin Fry. Uh, so we're gonna, we have some some new news and notes here from from all of those guys that spoke today. It's good to hear from all of the the new guys and see what their feelings are about the team and everything moving into 2022. So up at the podium first was head coach Ryan Day, um, and he kind of had the the biggest news bit of the day, and that was in terms of players that are coming back and not returning. The biggest non-returner is is Seven Banks, who he said would be moving on from Ohio State. He didn't tr- specify whether it's a it's a transfer or an NFL decision. But he said the he'd be CFL. Meet, yeah, something like that. But he said he'd be meeting with Banks and his mom on Tuesday. So by the time this comes out, we'll probably know a little bit more about it. But nonetheless, uh, this is something that both you and I, Josh, had kind of a, a figured was going to happen. We didn't really see a spot for seven Banks on this team moving forward. We both said we wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't here in the fall. And that does appear to be the case. The Ryan Day also said that, you know, Jerron Cage, Pallier, uh, Neoteote, and Taraja Mitchell are all returning. Um, so... You know, a couple of veteran guys are coming back to the team. But yeah, the, the Banks news was probably the biggest in terms of personnel movement. But it is, like I said, a move that we kind of saw coming. Yeah, for sure. I, I Look, nothing against Seven Banks, the person. Um, he had one really good year here at Ohio State. Underperformed this year. I don't. We still don't know the full extent of why he wasn't on the field more or everything that went on. Maybe it was injury related. Maybe it was... You know, just his attitude and everything towards things. I don't know, but I I don't see or I didn't see a spot for him coming back uh, just based on his play this year and the the guys that they have coming up in the program. So wish him the best, um, despite some of the things that the rude things that we had to say about him during the season. But I am sort of surprised by Jerron Cage and Taraja Mitchell coming back. Jerron Cage, this will be his sixth year now. And I think there's probably more of a role for him as sort of a run stuffer up the middle. You know, who knows what what it's going to be like for him in this new Jim Knowles defense, but he is a proven veteran. He made some big plays. So, okay, great. Come on back. We'll take you. Um, defensive the interior defensive line is probably an area where Ohio State needs or needed some depth anyway so this is a good thing in in my opinion Taraja Mitchell is at the top of my sort of surprise list he came into this year we all sort of expected him to be one of the starting linebackers and he was at the beginning of the season we saw his playing time um reduced throughout the year and with the, the new freshman coming in and uh, Paula E.A. Noteote, I hope I said that right again, coming back with another year in the program. I, I don't, what's the spot for Taraja Mitchell? Do you think he plays better? Do you think he plays sort of a different position under Jim, Jim Knowles? I mean, he is clearly behind Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg, Cody Simon, at least at this point. So, what do you think the motivation is there? Or is, maybe he just loves being a Buckeye. I don't know. It, it's really tough for me to have firm opinions on guys like Seven Banks and Taraja Mitchell because they didn't have any coaching last year. Um, so they're basically just out there with, with no no rhyme or reason and just kind of trying to figure out what to do without anybody like helping them. So it, it is tough in that regard. Like I do feel bad for a guy like Seven Banks because I'm sure that with better coaching, he probably would have had a better year. Um, but yeah, Taraja Mitchell didn't play particularly well. Like you said, he fell out of favor in the starting lineup. Uh, from all three of these guys, I don't really see much of a an impact from any of them in the 2022 season. I don't think any of them will start, and I don't really know if any of them will, will play any real significant minutes. With a guy like Taraja Mitchell, of the three that are returning between him, Cage, and uh, Neo Teote, 
Um, I think that the chance to maybe work with a guy like Jim Knowles, who's really good with linebackers and some of these other Ohio State staff members, maybe he feels like he still has more in the tank. Maybe he feels like he wasn't used to the best of his ability in 2021 and with a new coaching staff, they could bring out the best in him. You know, this is a guy that has been on Ohio State for a while. He's a guy that's been talked about very highly for a while as this hard-hitting, really, you know, strong defensive linebacker. And we didn't see that this year. So maybe, you know, in a new scheme, maybe in this 4-2-5 that Jim Knowles likes to run, they, they have a way that they could use Taraja Mitchell in a more effective way. I, I thought coming into the year that he was a better player than he showed. So who knows? But I think that, you know, there was really, I mean, the other the only options here were to, to declare for the draft where he probably would have been selected to, to transfer to a program that isn't Ohio State and doesn't have that, that national spectacle, that chance at a national title every year or to come back. And I think that this is probably the safest of the three decisions. And with a new coaching staff, maybe they could bring something else out of them. Let me throw this out at you. Um, Taraja Mitchell, he's about 6'2", 240. We've seen, you know, the reckless abandon that he plays with at times, maybe to his own detriment. With this Leo position that Jim Knowles likes to deploy, I, I don't know. Do you see a scenario where Taraja Mitchell is used as sort of a situa- situational pass rusher, given his size and his speed and his athleticism? Yeah, it'll be interesting. We're going to do a, a defensive depth chart outlook here sometime in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I, as far as the Leo goes, I'm probably looking at guys like Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer to probably man down that spot. But, you know, you do make a point. A guy like Taraja Mitchell could be useful there. It's just I think he's kind of blocked by guys that are probably more a little bit more fast, a little bit more athletic, and probably a little bit higher regarded as, as players. More, you know, guys that have more experience as defensive ends, whereas Taraja right. Mitchell is on the linebacker side. So maybe it is kind of a thing where, you know, it's a two-part Leo, where it's you have one Leo that's a, more of a pass rusher and one that's more of a drop-back guy, and that would be your Taraja Mitchell type. So who knows? You know, we have a lot that we have yet to see. From this Jim Knowles defense, I'm sure that he has a bunch of different ways to use a bunch of different players. So maybe there is a spot on this defense to, for Taraja Mitchell. But like we said, you know, as of as of last year, there wasn't a ton that we saw from him. But you know, having him having guys back with experience in the to have at least depth, especially a linebacker where Ohio State was pretty thin this year, can't can't hurt, I guess, in the long run. You know, the last thing on Mitchell, he was a talented guy, so it's in there. Can this new coaching staff get the most out of him? He was the number one inside linebacker when he came out of high school. Um, I think he was like a top 20 overall guy. So, you know, the talent and the pedigree is there. Maybe he just needs the right coaching. And hopefully after, you know, five years, he can get that coaching. He's obviously a good guy to have in the locker room. I think they still had him out there as a captain, if I'm not mistaken, for the coin toss of the Rose Bowl. He is a three or four time academic all Big Ten guy. So, it clearly doesn't hurt to have good dudes in the locker room. And at the very least, I think Taraja Mitchell is a good dude. Yeah. And speaking of those dudes in that room, you know, the couple couple other tidbits here from Ryan Day speaking today. Um, he said a lot of these players on defense, on defense especially, are excited to learn the new scheme. He said they're chomping at the bit to get out there and, and turn things around and, and kind of figure out the and learn the new defense under Jim Knowles. Um, he talked about Jim Knowles as as the head coach of the defense, which I think is something that you know us at Langer and Holland, especially from within our Slack group, we are excited to see. He talked about needing a fresh start on the defensive side, and you know the reason for a lot of these moves he made. And I think that you know during the season we we talked about how. Ryan Day is, is clearly an offensive-minded head coach and that when he tries to get too involved on defense, it, it doesn't work out. He just needs to let his guys 
do his thing, and it seems like he brought in Jim Knowles to do exactly that. It looks like he's going to be almost entirely hands-off on the defense, let Jim Knowles and the staff under him figure out the defense, get it back on track, get it corrected, and kind of let those guys do their own thing while he worries about the offense. So I think, you know, and, and twofold, that's, that's a great thing for Ohio State. It gives Ryan Day more time to game plan on offense, draw up some new stuff, and it gives Jim Knowles the full autonomy to do whatever he wants on this defense and, and figure it out. I don't think a I don't think having a clean slate on defense is by any means a bad thing for Ohio State. I think they needed to scrap the whole thing and start over with the way it's gone for a couple of years now. So all things considered, I think that what Ryan Day said on, on Monday was very, very encouraging for Ohio State's defense moving forward. I, I'm with you. I hope that by more time for Ryan Day, that means averaging 40, 50 plus points per game because that's going to be like his only concern. But to your point, I, I think that this is it's not the first time, but it is further evidence or proof from Ryan Day's mouth that he is ready to like fully hand it over. You know, we don't know how involved he was with the defense, but I'm sure with the way that they underperformed the last two seasons that he was probably sticking his nose in the meetings, right. And trying to get in there and have a voice without maybe overstepping his bounds, which he's allowed to do as the head coach, but you know, Ryan is a certain kind of guy or he comes across as a certain kind of guy, but this is his opportunity to just let go. Let Jim Knowles, who is clearly proven be not his equal, but be his like true peer um, amongst the coaches, the way that he, you know, probably views a Larry Johnson um, sort of on equal footing. So it's good to hear him say those things. I'm super excited for Jim Knowles. We've talked about it. We will talk about it. This guy's a mad scientist. Um, and he's and Ryan Day is going to let him cook, which I think is only going to be a good thing for Ohio State and its defense in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Ryan Day's kind of his, his necessity to have the one high safety defense, which is something that uh, you know, for as much flack as we gave Kerry Combs as a DC, it's it's a system that he had never really run before. So you're kind of you're bringing in a guy who's never coached a defense before, and you're kind of forcing him to run a scheme that he doesn't know. So it seems like it was kind of doomed to fail from the beginning. So I'm glad that he's kind of getting his hands off of the defense, focusing on what he knows best in the offense, and letting a guy with a proven track record on defense like Jim Knowles take control, take those reins. And speaking of Jim Knowles, he also spoke today from the first time, just listening to some of his press conferences. I'm super excited about Ohio State's defense. He just sounds like a super smart dude. Talked about a lot of things today. Um, he talked about introducing variety and aggression to keep opposing offenses on their toes. You know, he, his, he talked about why he chose Ohio State, wanting to, to be the best, compete against the best, and come to a place that's completely supported by its community with such rich tradition. So a lot of nice things to say about Ohio State. Uh, they asked him kind of what he thinks about, you know, how much he's seen of the Ohio State defense, what he thinks about it. And he, he kind of said he has a lot of studying to do, a lot of hands-on work to do in, in learning what he has. Because he said in, in order for players to play fast, they, he has to know what they don't know. And he has to know, like, what these players know and what they don't know. And so the defensive scheme really has to be ingrained on them. They can't be thinking if they want to play fast, which is something that we also talked about during the, the Ohio State season this year. We talked about how you could almost actively see the gears in Ohio State's linebackers' minds working as plays unfolded, and by the time they figured out what they were seeing, it was too late. And so to hear a guy come in, talk about playing fast, talk about that you can't think on defense or, or it's not going to work out, uh, once again, just like the stuff Ryan Day said, it's all stuff that Ohio State fans have been asking for and wanted to hear. 
And so I am super excited for Jim Knowles. You know, he said you can't just watch film. You have to really get to know players and get a feel for what you have out there. So it seems like he's really going to be hands-on on this defense, getting getting you know uh, getting Ohio State on the right track. He wants to take these players. There's a lot of talent on this defense and figure out what works best, where he could plug guys in. And it sounds everything he said sounds pretty good to me. Without seeing him a whole lot or hearing him a whole lot, um, I'm already excited for this dude. Um, Jim Knowles just he seems he eats, breathes, and, and you know lives football. And you know just to hear him speak so intelligently about what defense is and and how defensive players need to be able to play. I think that that's promising. Um, that's a good thing to hear. We know that he clearly has all this experience and he's really, you know, proven himself everywhere he's been coached up this outstanding defense for Oklahoma state. But, um, you know, I, I think with Knowles and his experience and what he brings to the table, he just seems like a relatable guy, but also a guy who, he's not going to accept anything less than your best. And if you can't, or you're not willing to try and reach that potential, I don't know if he's going to have a place for you on his team. He just seems like a no nonsense kind of guy while also being relatable and and a guy that players like to play for. But I think he's going to coach this defense hard. I think he's going to have high expectations and, um, you know, you know, I, I saw a little bit of him talking and I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Hart and like his stand up, but in the back of my mind, I just heard like, you're going to learn today. All right. You're going to learn today. Jim Knowles is going to teach you how to play defense. The rest is up to you. And if you can't execute, uh, I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of patience for you on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm really excited for what he brings to the table. It was great to kind of see him and hear him officially as an Ohio State coach. So I am very optimistic for this unit, even if it takes a little bit of time. You know, he's going to be working with a lot of new guys um, and they don't they open up against Notre Dame. You know, it's not going to be easy to start out the season next year, but I think he will eventually get the most out of these guys and get the Ohio State defense back to what we're all used to and like hopeful to see again. Yeah, I think his philosophy of kind of this aggression and playing offense on defense it's going to be really big for this Ohio State defense because, you know, when, when you're doing stuff like that and you're doing things to confuse the opposing offense and the opposing quarterback especially, they're going to make mistakes. So even if you have plays where a guy blows a coverage or a guy's out of position, just by doing enough to confuse the offense, you could get stops, you could cause turnovers, you could wreak havoc. And I think that that's going to suit Ohio State really well because obviously there's there's players on the team that probably haven't played up to their potential. There's players on the team that maybe they aren't, maybe they aren't Ohio State caliber players, but at the end of the day, if you could put together a, a strong defense that is as confusing opposing offenses, I think you could make up for a lot of shortcomings that way. Yeah, and I and I think that the one thing that we've seen based on you know what with the way Oklahoma State played is yes, they're aggressive, but they have a goal in mind of getting to the quarterback and forcing turnovers. And Ohio State has not been great in either one of those areas for a couple of seasons now. I think back to uh, Malik Hooker, who you've mentioned as you know, maybe one of your favorite Buckeyes over the last however many years. You have professed your love for Malik Hooker as a Buckeye. Um, and I loved him too, that sort of center fielder. Jim Knowles 
relies on his safeties. He wants playmakers back there. So hopefully he can identify the next Malik Hooker to go out and make plays for him. And hopefully he can identify the next pass rushers that are going to go out there and get after the quarterback aggressively, right? That is like his mantra is play aggressive. And uh, again, we just, we haven't seen that. Haskell Garrett played with his hair on fire when he was healthy. He was like the last monster I can sort of think of from the last couple of seasons in that sort of front unit that wants to get after the quarterback, get in the backfield and hurt somebody. Ohio State needs that guy or those guys again. And hopefully that's a JTT, a Jack Sawyer. Maybe he identifies Zach Harrison as a Leo or whatever he's going to have him do. That's what I think he is going to bring out most in these players. And it's what they've really been missing under Kerry Combs, unfortunately. And don't forget about my guy, Tyleek Williams. Be sure to check out Josh and I. Tyleek, uh, yes. Check out Josh and I's You're Nuts from this week. We, we can highlight a couple of guys that we're looking forward to next season that could crack the starting lineup. And, you know, Tyleek Williams is, is my guy, and I'm excited to see him on that defensive line. But nonetheless, we also got to hear from some of Jim Knowles' constituents on that defensive side of the ball in Perry Eliano and Tim Walton. Uh, both spoke a little bit today. Uh, Eliano talked about kind of recruiting at Ohio State and how it's how different it is. You know, he said you, when you walk in with that block O on your chest, it hits different. You get a different response from those players. Um, and he, he kind of talked about the players Ohio State already has on their roster and that a lot of these guys have clean slates with these new coaches and that, you know, they're going to go in and watch film, but nobody has a set role yet. You're not just going to come back and earn your starting spot because you had it right. You're, you're a new player to these guys and they're going to see what they like, what they don't like, and they're going to figure out who the best players to put on the field are. He talked about how Ryan Day wants him to help him maximize the players they have in the secondary and that he's, even though he's coming from a place like Cincinnati, which, you know, before this season didn't have high hopes of national titles year in and out, he's, he's not afraid of the expectations at Ohio State to win national titles. Yeah, and I hope that he can, gosh, I don't want to say prove his worth because that just sounds demeaning, but he's got a tough challenge ahead of him, maybe not to recruit for Ohio State, but to recruit as an Ohio State coach. Now, this is the big leagues compared to where he has been on a recruiting level before. So I'm glad that it was one of the first things that he sort of talked about and brought up. And to your point, not having guys grandfathered in at certain positions, I think is very important. I think one of the things about Kerry Combs that, you know, you love it, but you don't love it is he, he was a loyal guy. Right. And he loved his players and he's going to continue to do that at Cincinnati. But when he was here at Ohio State as the defensive coordinator, uh, did that just you know eat away at him too much? Was it too much on his mind that he's going to play guys that he has this certain loyalty to? Well, Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, they don't have that loyalty. Clean slate is what you talked about. It's what they have talked about. Guys are going to have to go out there and earn their positions. Um, you know, Denzel Burke is probably earmarked, maybe a Josh Proctor, but a lot of DBs and a lot of secondary players are going to play in this new defense. And Eliano and Walton in particular are going to have to figure out that room. And, um, you know, when it, when it comes to putting the best players out there, I look at a guy like Bryson Shaw. Uh, we've done this ad nauseum. Uh, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but was he the best player? Last year, should he have been out there for 80, 90% of the snaps? I think it's safe to say no. no. It was so, not. So maybe they were limited by other options, but 
Eliano and Walton, they are not going to come in with this like preconceived notion of, hey, these are the guys that should probably be out there. They're going to start from day one. They're probably already looking at film, looking at tendencies, things like that. But then when they get to practice and when they're in the weight room with these guys, they're going to see who wants it the most and they're going to identify new guys or the same guys and say, hey, this guy's ready to go. He's ready to do it for us. So I, I think a clean slate in this instance is good. And we both agree and we've talked about it. It's absolutely necessary. Yeah. And, and it sounds a lot like Eliano and Walton are going to kind of work in tandem in that secondary. I know that officially Eliano is the safeties coach and Walton is the corners, but it sounds like they'll be doing a lot of work together. And like you said before, you know, in, in Jim Knowles' system, the safeties are super, super important. So having, it'll probably be an honestly an even split of corners and safeties on the field at any given time. So I'm sure these two guys will be working together a lot. Um, Walton's comments, you know, just no, nothing really big from him. The usual coach speak, I would say, but he said he's excited to be back at the place where he, he grew into a young man. Obviously, he has prior engagements at Ohio State. Um, he talked about recruiting a little bit. He said he's going to have to get on Twitter because he realizes how important social media is in the current <laughs> recruiting landscape, which obviously was much different the last time he had to do any college recruiting. I'm sure that I don't even know if he Twitter just needs existed. to go and hit up like Mark Pantone. Exactly. Yeah. The Twitter's not hard. Just post a bunch of gifts. You'll be fine. I'm sure he'll figure it out. I'm sure Ohio State has a bunch of young people on staff that could show him how to use them. And I don't not really worried about stuff like that. But uh, in terms of just football stuff, he said that he's talked to Jim Knowles. He thinks he's really sharp, has a really good football IQ. And then uh, the only really personnel thing he talked about was that he doesn't really know how many outside corners are going to play. He said it kind of depends on the, the personnel OSU has and the, kind of the stuff that Jim Knowles wants to do. So we could see kind of an interesting mix of, of slot and outside corners. I think that's kind of semantics with the way that the defense is going to look in that four-two-five. But nonetheless, clearly there, these guys are already getting a look at the roster, getting a hand on, trying to get a handle on some of the things that they're going to have to work on over the next several months. Obviously, there is a lot to do on that defensive side of the ball, but these guys sound like they're hitting the ground rolling and they're uh, they're going to be up to the task. And like like we've talked about on previous podcasts, we're not expecting Ohio State to come out here and have a top 25 defense in year one under this new staff. But even if they're just top 50, that is that is a world of improvement from the past couple of years. I'm with you. I agree. I think that it is going to be a bit of a groupthink situation with that secondary. And that's probably a good thing, right? Perry Ali Eliano, gosh, I keep messing it up, just coached Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati. So like, he knows how to develop the heck out of some corners. Now he's coached safeties a ton throughout his career. So he can be very versatile. Whereas Tim Walton is more of like that traditional corners coach. And, you know, you mentioned it, he's not on Twitter. That's, that's sort of a silly thing, but I think that he is going to have to kind of shift his thinking and gear it more towards the younger player. He's not working with these paid professionals and these these high draft picks like he had, especially in like Jacksonville, he coached Jalen Ramsey. So it's a, it's a bit of a different dynamic, but I think he'll catch on Ryan day, you know, said, Hey, I called Tim Walton. It wasn't the other way around. Ryan day identified that he wanted this guy to come in and coach his quarterback. So it, it, right now it's a, it's a perfect marriage because each of those guys, you know, wants the other to be around and went out and in this case, kind of reached out to Tim Walton. I think he is going to be, if I had to guess, like, I think he is going to be very much the tactician. He knows how to coach NFL caliber and pro bowl caliber cornerbacks in the NFL. So even if he takes some time to get up to speed with recruiting and the college lifestyle, you know, 
he's got a textbook and he can point to this page and that page and he can teach you how to play corner and show you how to play cornerback. And so I think that's going to be his role early on. Maybe he's not the best recruiter in the world, but if he continue, or if, you know, if he develops these guys the way that we think and hope that he can, the recruits are going to come. And in the meantime, he's got a guy like Perry Eliano who is used to the college game and can kind of do that coach speak with the younger guys. So I think it'll be a good tandem of coaches that they have in the secondary room. Yeah, and, and like Eliano said, you get a little bit extra of a, of a recruiting bump when you walk in with that Ohio State logo, mm-hmm. so that'll that'll certainly help out Walton a bit. But yeah, a really exciting defensive coaching staff, almost entirely new. Uh, on the flip side, on offense, the only real new addition there was Justin Fry, who also spoke to the media on Monday. Seems like a really cool guy, a really charismatic guy. Uh, seemed like he was having mm-hmm. a lot of fun during the interview process. He was talking about uh, how some of the door frames in the Woody aren't big enough for Dewan Jones. <laughs> and that he had, he's happy he's not the one that has to buy him food and clothes because he would he'd go bankrupt. Um, obviously, Dewan Jones at six foot eight, three sixty, big dude. Um, but yeah, a little, little not not a ton from him football wise. But he did say that he wants the he wants the offensive line to be felt. He wants everyone to notice the offensive line and how well they're playing. And he also said that he wants you know he wants there to be scenarios where it's it's third and two and everyone in the stadium knows exactly what's coming, but it doesn't matter because of how well Ohio State's offensive line is blocking. So a lot of a lot of great talk from Justin Fry. He seems like a good guy. I'm excited for Ohio State's offensive line. I'm sure we'll when we do our our offensive depth chart preview, we'll talk about those guys uh, that are going to be running the show there in 2022, but I think the combination of, of a new coach and a couple new faces and a, a change of the, the positions along the offensive line, I guess, um, I'm looking forward to that unit, and it seems like Justin Fry is up to the task. Yeah, he strikes me as similar to Jim Knowles, not in the you know their experience, but in the sense that um, they're relatable guys, they're charismatic, they've got um, just, there's that something about them to where it seems like players and guys are going to be drawn to them and then you know their ability to develop players at that position and the resume that they can point to hopefully puts them over the top as recruiters but then as coaches they both mentioned aggressiveness you know wanting the other side to quote unquote feel you which is exactly what Justin Fry said I think it's just going to be a a kind of a shift in the way that some players think and some players act and play under these new coaches. Um, Coach Stud didn't speak a whole lot, um, you know, and he didn't have that same sort of charisma or character about him. Uh, more of a quiet guy, in my opinion, whereas Justin Fry's, you know, sort of jovial, cracking jokes. He's a younger guy. He can relate to players. So I, I think it's going to be a good thing for this offense. Clearly, Ryan Day wanted uh, Justin Fry on his staff. They have that working relationship in the past. So I think that this is probably, I mean, it was the Jim Knowles thing kind of happened first or maybe in unison, but I think that the Justin Fry hire in Ryan Day's opinion, if I had to guess, is just as important as the Jim Knowles hire. Now he's giving control of an entire side of the ball to Jim Knowles. That's not going to be the, the case on offense. But Ryan Day clearly identified Justin Fry very early on, is familiar with him and was like, I I need to go get this dude. Uh, I've seen what he could do in the past. And so I I, I think that Ryan Day really wanted him on the staff. And I think it's going to pay dividends that they've worked together before. And it's just a new voice and a new set of eyes on the offensive line, which struggled a bit at times last year. And 
you know, Ryan Day can draw up anything, scheme up anything, but if the front four, I'm sorry, the front five is not blocking the way they need to, opening up holes, protecting the quarterback on, you know, play action or anything like that, then Ryan Day's offense doesn't work at max capacity. I don't think he wants to worry about the offensive line. I think he wants to worry about the max potential of his offense and what they can do. And he sees Justin Fry as the guy who can get that out of the unit in front of his quarterback and around his skill position guys. It really is incredible how much coaching is important in the college game, especially in the NFL as well, but the college game, especially because of how young a lot of these kids are coming in, how much, you know, technique a lot of them have to learn, even though they're very good raw athletes coming in, they got to learn their specialties as they get to the college game. It's just crazy how much it matters because obviously, you know, Ohio State has all this talent year in and year out, but it's just been unable to kind of reach their ceiling the past couple of years because of a, I would say, a lack of, of good coaching on the defensive side. You know, I saw a tweet yesterday from, Ben Axelrod saying Ohio State's 2017 defensive line had uh, Chase Young, Mick Bosa, and Seb Hubbard on it, and we all know how how well the 2017 Ohio State defense played. So I would like to uh, personally send Greg Schiano and Billy Davis to prison. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Um, but it, it just shows, you know, coaching is important. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't put together a strong staff that's teaching these kids how to play the game right and you have a good scheme behind them and they, everybody knows what's what should be happening and what's going on uh, rather than just throwing a bunch of five stars on the field and saying good luck like it appeared Ohio State did last year. It, it completely it's changes the, things. It's crazy. It's the continued Sabinization of college football, right? You look at what Nick Saban has done at Alabama and look, coaching has been important for decades. Don't get me wrong, but Nick Saban is going out and getting former NFL head coaches with playoff experience to coach position groups for him. He knows how important coaching is at the college level. And, you know, Ryan Day, these hires maybe aren't on par with Doug Marone and Bill O'Brien and guys like that that Saban has brought in, but it's going out and getting what you identify as the best of the best for position groups or defensive, you know, a coordinator, whatever, everyone is sort of trying to keep up, right? Alabama doesn't win it every year, but they play for it seemingly every year. And you look at what Saban does, other coaches are trying to do that because now you've got so many other things to deal with. You shouldn't have to worry about, are your coaches getting the most out of players? And I think Ryan Day has had to worry about that the last couple of years. The recruiting and the record and stuff, it hasn't fallen off, but it's clearly kind of been in the back of his mind. Whereas Nick Saban, I'm sure, even though guys come and go, he has confidence in the back of his mind that he can trust Lane Kiffin to run his offense or Bill O'Brien to run his defense. He's legitimately bringing in the best of the best. Sorry. Um, and, and so I think Ryan Day is sort of playing along there, or maybe he's taking some cues from a guy like Nick Saban. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I think it's the staff has been put together well. We'll see what the, the product winds up being. I'm sure we will have a lot of, of offseason discourse to go through. Like I said, Josh and I are probably going to do some uh, depth chart breakdowns in the next coming weeks, unless there's a bunch of other breaking news at Ohio State that I'm not foreseeing. But hopefully, Kyle McCord at starting quarterback. Yeah, mark I'm it sure, down. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have some real hot takes in the in the starting quarterback market. Uh, I'm sure those are all coming. But nonetheless, I think um, yeah, a lot a lot of good stuff from the coaches today. It was good to hear from a lot of these guys from the first time. 
get them all together in the same room. I'm sure they're hard at work. You know, we're about to, the, the, the 2022 class is about to be wrapped up. They're going to move fully on to 2023 in the recruiting game. So a lot of stuff going on in the Woody, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a very, while it's, while it's not as busy time for news, I'm sure it's a very, almost one of the busiest times of the year for them besides, you know, like their big game planning. But yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff going on at Ohio State. We will be sure to keep coming back to you with all the latest and whatever else there is to talk about this offseason in terms of, you know, coaches, roster, recruiting, all that good stuff. Um, Josh, is there anything else you wanted to say before we get out of here? Uh, no, that's it, man. Uh, again, just a reminder, though, the Cincinnati Bengals are playing in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. I don't know if we touched on that. Some people may have missed it. Uh, this is the beginning of a decade-long dynasty, so let's just let's all remember I'm saying this now and appreciate the absolute hell out of it. Yes, if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, the ep- the the episode that we record that week, I am not even going to show up. I'm just going to let Josh <laughs> talk for 45 unfiltered minutes about the Cincinnati Bengals and how they're going to win the next several Super Bowls for years to come. Uh, but other than that, yeah, not much else for me. Uh, former, I do want to bring up that uh, Langren Holland former writer Colton Denning posted a picture today of um, the Ohio State-Clemson game, the one that Ohio State lost. And it's just the picture of the ball on the ground and Jordan Fuller about to pick it up on the play that was reversed and called not a fumble. And I just wanted to to know the immense amount of pain that it made me feel looking at that photo. Oh, man, that was, gosh, that was one of the worst calls that I can remember in a number of years. I mean, I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up. That was a true heartbreaker because, you know, Ohio State could have and should have and, and may have won it that year. So uh, such a downer, Gene, to end on. Goodness. It's just crazy. Like, the, like it's, he just posted the photo with no caption. And it's and just crazy. It it's crazy the amount of anger that you could get from just a still frame of a football game that happened like three, four years ago at this point. So it's just, I just wanted to bring that up. My friend, as a joke, used to always send me, um, there's a picture of the, the field goal that Michigan State won on in 2015. And it's a picture of Michael Thomas, like, probably about less than a foot from blocking it on, on the, the field goal attempt to win the game. Yeah. So he used to just send that to me all the time to piss me off because it was kind of funny. This picture is a thousand <laughs> times worse. Like, this hurts way more. You know what? It's so bad that the guy who forced that fumble, because it was Jeff Okuda, hasn't really played football since. You know, he can't bring himself to stay on the field. So, uh, you know, I, I'm feeling it over here, too. Yeah, and Jordan Fuller, who returned the fumble, also injured. So... A lot of injuries going on in that photo. A lot of pain, physical and and uh, mental, coming from that photo. I think Ohio State should go into the season watching that football game because they, if they feel like a fourth is as angry as I do, I think they're going to play with their hair on fire, and I think they might win the title. So they should actually post that exact photo in the Woody this offseason, and I think it'll motivate them even more. Post it next to a video of Jim Harbaugh singing or rapping Who's Got It Better Than Us, although Jim Harbaugh may not be long for the state up north, but that's... A different conversation for a different day. Yeah, that that that, that I don't know. I'm, I'll believe that stuff when I see it. Well, I'm sure if that if that if something does happen in terms of coaching changes in Michigan, we will obviously discuss it. But it seems like every off season we do this whole Jim Harbaugh is going to every open vacancy in the NFL, and then it never actually happens. But nonetheless, that was a, a long aside at the end of the podcast as we get out of here. Um, 
Anyway, be sure to uh, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Be sure to check out all of our content at uh, Land Grant Holy Land. Uh, Josh will not be writing anything for weeks to come if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, so don't look for his stuff if that happens. Uh, but otherwise, everyone else will be around, and we will always keep you up to date on all the latest Ohio State news and notes. So for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.